This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader this station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere tonight at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. News Podcast presents Brett Baer's All-Star Panel. America's got to be in the lead if you want to deal with these threats. We're going to lead. The morning is over. The shiva is done. And if you're a conservative, you should be optimistic. You know, my main priority right now is making sure that it delivers for the American people. Yeah, the president sounded like he's concerned about it, but no specifics, no change in policy. We have to make our country great again, and I will do that. I think the president gets criticized by people all the time for the stuff he says, by people who ignore what he does. Now, Fox's chief political anchor, Brett Baer. New legal troubles potentially on the way for former president and 2024 Republican frontrunner Donald Donald Trump after he received a letter from special counsel Jack Smith stating that he is the target of a January 6th grand jury investigation. Uh, we have yet again another example of Joe Biden's weaponized Department of Justice targeting his top political opponent, Donald Trump. At the White House, President Biden looks to sidestep the Supreme Court decision on his student debt relief plan, announcing a new initiative to forgive $39 billion in student loans for more than 800,000 Americans. For a conversation on this and more, we bring in our panel, Fox News senior political analyst Juan Williams, Fox News contributor, host of the Ben Dominich podcast, Ben Dominich, and Fox News senior congressional correspondent, Chad Pergram. Chad, what's the reaction on the Hill uh, to this target letter? Obviously, we've seen this before, um, and usually the MO has been, once you receive this letter, um, in a few days, at least if it follows precedent, uh, it leads to an arrest and an indictment. This would be the p- former president's third. Right. Everybody here uh, on Capitol Hill would start to brace for what would happen at the foot of Capitol Hill, which is where this would all go down. You know, we've seen the appearances in federal court uh, by the former president in New York and Florida before. And we know, you know, what a big to do this can be with traffic to everything else. It will be something similar where he would have to appear Uh, in court. And that happens, as I say, that federal courthouse is right at the foot of Capitol Hill on the Senate side. Uh, It's been interesting talking to some of the the, the members here. Republicans immediately have pivoted this back to uh, President Biden and saying, well, this is why we're looking to President Biden. You know, there's things that we want to look about his, you know, uh, finances and Hunter Biden. And there's a big hearing coming up about that uh, tomorrow with Gary Shapley, uh, one of the big whistleblowers in this investigation, along with whistleblower X, someone's name we don't know yet, but we'll hear tomorrow. Meantime, Democrats have said this is just, a, you know, one more indictment for former President Trump. And it focuses purportedly on January 6th. It was interesting, uh, I spoke just a bit ago with James Comer, uh, who's the chair of the Oversight Committee, 
about what this means. And he said, well, I you know, voted to certify uh, the election. He said, but I didn't uh, obviously endorse what happened with the riot. He said, I don't think the riot you know, should have happened. And I said, well, you know, why don't you, you, know, you chair the oversight committee. Why haven't you investigated some of these things? And Chairman Comer said, well, he said, he said, if we could get a little more cooperation from the Biden administration, the federal government, maybe we would have time for other things like this. So you know, read into that what you will. But that is that natural partisan divide here. Um, in fact, uh, you know, one of the presidents, uh, the former president's biggest defenders, Marjorie Taylor Greene up here uh, said that this was, quote, BS, and that's not the, the term that she used. She said that he's been, you know, found innocent at every turn. And of course, that's not accurate either. So again, this is falling along party lines. And this is where, you know, you certainly have Republicans going after what they term the weaponization of government and then pivoting this around ahead of this upcoming hearing to say that this uh, demonstrates that the federal government is bound and determined and the Democratic administration and President Biden to go after former President Trump and not actually look inward toward the Bidens. One, each time in the past that the former president has been indicted, it's hard to say, but we are in that position right now. But each time his political fortunes have seemed to increase. He, he is, his poll numbers have gone up. Uh, this, if it goes forward, would be the third indictment, this one dealing with January 6th. We don't know what the specific charges may be, but obviously the political implications for the GOP primary are different than they would be for the general election and how this potentially impacts that. I agree, and I think that one of the realities we all have to look at quite clearly, no matter your political orientation, is that the poll numbers have gone up after those previous indictments and the psychology seems to be that people feel that Trump represents them versus the elites, that he is under attack and that he is in some ways, uh, you know, a surrogate for them as they take on government and that he is being unfairly assailed. His arguments, by the way, he sells these arguments every day. He has already been on Twitter or uh, whatever his social truth social yep. truth social today saying that this is the work of biden's quote injustice department and the like and and nonsense and that it's not fair to him and that he is being targeted as the current president's likely political opponent in the upcoming 2024 presidential race so the play on grievance which is throughout trump's tenure continues and guess what it continues to work for him the where it doesn't work is with independent voters and obviously with people who are anti-trump and certainly most democrats are anti-trump it generates the counterforce, which is they are more likely to turn out to vote against trump and if you think about the consequences for the republican party in a general election the likelihood that you have more independents more Democrats wanting, energized, motivated to turn out is not good news. Yeah, Ben? Well, I think that Juan's put an accurate description here of the perspective of uh, a lot of folks who uh, would like to see Democrats uh, you know, prevail in this upcoming election. But I think it's a very dangerous game. And I think that it's dangerous for a number of reasons. First, you have the overall question of sort of what does this do to the appreciation that we have as Americans uh, for our various institutions. I think it's a very dangerous thing. I'm sure Juan would agree uh, to have the Department of Justice, 
the FBI and, and other law enforcement entities come to be viewed as, as simply partisan as partisan entities who, who act not based on law or order, but simply because they're trying to fulfill the aims of partisan forces that operate within them and without. At the same time, I think that there's another risk element here, which is that given the Biden family's own legal challenges, uh, given Hunter Biden's experience, and obviously, you know, uh, the this situation that we're going to see play out in terms of the Capitol Hill hearings, I believe that this is the beginning of something pretty significant uh, in terms of the the testimony that we're likely to hear, uh, is a, a an accepted idea among Republican voters, and this is something that I hear from consultants and pollsters from across the country, that they basically view themselves as under siege as a and view themselves as under siege along with the former president uh, that they do not have any faith whatsoever in these entities they believe that it's a two-tiered system of justice that you're if you're on the d side of the ledger that you can get away with anything and if you're on the r side then they'll come after you in any way possible i think that's the real risk that we run in this climate and we saw that experience before when the president was in office in terms of the glorification of these various figures from the world of the DOJ and the FBI, um, and, and then, you know, frankly, dissatisfaction with the way that things like the Mueller probe played out ultimately among those uh, various resistant factions. In fact, I think that this is very risky because I'm not sure that ultimately those independent voters are going to be where a lot of Democrats expect them to be on this subject. Uh, instead, I think they may. The more indictments uh, the, that are lodged against him, the more they may discount them as simply being, again, part and parcel of a partisan uh, agenda-operated system of justice. And that's something that is a danger that, from my perspective, lasts far beyond the 2024 election. Obviously, there are candidates, Nikki Haley, Chris Christie, even Ron DeSantis probably will start um, campaigning on you know, Trump policies being good, but the chaos and the baggage being bad. You're saying that the chaos and the baggage is part of his, you know, under siege and that he's the vehicle for change, or at least that's what his supporters believe, that they're coming after him because he wants to take down the bureaucracy. Interestingly enough, though, I think that there is some aspect here when it comes to Ron DeSantis in recent weeks where he's leaning against a lot of Trump policies, particularly during the COVID era, in a way that is is designed to kind of prevent him from ha having to answer some of these other questions. Uh, and I think that that's something that's going to be interesting to see play out. There's a thesis that's always been there that you need to be able to attack the former president in ways that critique him for the decisions that he made, as opposed to uh, you know either, either going after him personally, which would potentially you know, ramp things up. I don't think that that's, I think it's always ramped up with the former president. Um, but I think that also you don't want to insult the idea that you don't want to insult his voters. Instead, yeah. I think that one of the things that, that, you know, you know, all these candidates have really not figured out yet is a way to navigate around these things, around these various issues uh, and say explicitly, if you want to win, you know, accepting the general conventional wisdom, these are things that prevent the ability of Republicans, not just the former president, but others as well, to win. And so if you want to win in 2024, why do it with someone who takes so much baggage where the issues and the election are entirely about that person and their legal woes as opposed to the agenda? 
Yeah, I mean, they've been bouncing around that message a little bit, but not really hitting it hard. Uh, and what happens is every time there is something like this, and let's assume there is an indictment by the end of the week, every candidate will first be asked when questions are opened up to reporters what they think and you know what do they make of this indictment. And so thereby, the news cycle becomes, again, about the former president. Panel, we'll hold it right there. Chad, one specific thing, and I, I don't know, I might be throwing you a, a curveball here, but, you know, President Trump's acquittal by the Senate in February of 2021 uh, on that impeachment, one of those charges specifically was incitement of insurrection. And, you know, there are some people online saying that that should preclude any attempt by the special counsel um, to criminalize behavior uh, that the Supreme Court will may determine to be a political question. Um, and since that specifically had been addressed in the impeachment and the acquittal by the Senate, we don't know what the charges would be. Seditious conspiracy was one that was tossed around. But uh, it's an interesting question legally and politically. Right. And that's something that they have to look at, obviously, and might come up. Uh, I mean, again, these are different institutions. I mean, you know, you can look at this as to what happened uh, with former congressman, the late congressman, Alcee Hastings, you know, who faced impeachment back in the late 1980s was when he was on the federal bench and and, of course, was removed from the federal bench because of what happened there. But then again, that did not automatically preclude Alcee Hastings from other you know, legal jeopardy, et cetera. And that was one of the issues of contention in his trial, both in the Senate and privately as well, you know, in court. So, you know, we've been there a little bit before. I realize that the impeachment of Alcee Hastings was not quite the same, the same situation. Um, but that's going to be something that people are going to come back to that, to the riot. And this is where when you talk to Adam Schiff, who I talked to today, uh, Jamie Raskin, of course, who was a member of the, uh, you know, in the oversight committee and investigated this for the one six committee. Uh, they're going to come back and say, you know, we did our job. And, and, and you know, I asked Jamie Raskin, Raskin at one point, you know, he said we have sent, you know, multiple referrals to the Department of Justice about former President Trump connected to January 6th and the certification of the election. And I said, well, that said, you know, there was some tension there between uh, the DOJ and getting information from the 1-6 committee. Uh, they th felt that they wanted more information from the 1-6 committee. Uh, I asked him whether or not they thought that uh, it took a special prosecutor in this case, uh, you know, Jack Smith, to bring charges like this, that it wasn't something that the Department of Justice was going to do on its own without a, a special prosecutor. And Raskin said, you know, you know, if it was Merrick Garland, you know, he would be damned if he did and damned if he didn't. And so the fact that Merrick Garland is a little bit out of this is different. And people were always going to perceive, right or not, what the January 6th committee did as political, uh, that they had an agenda to wield. Uh, Democrats certainly think that they made the case. But people on the other side say, hey, you know, this was them, you know, trying to, to, to get to President Trump. And people like Jamie Raskin will say, oh, no, no, we were putting the record straight there. So, again, whether or not that plays out there as to what happens in court. And again, it depends. When is that trial going to be? You know, you have like the, you know, the plane stacking up at O'Hare here for former President Trump as to when all these trials might be. You know, he, he made the case in just the past couple of days that they should obviously delay uh, the, the trial from Florida until after uh, the presidential election. And so, you know, some might make the case that this one is even more important in terms of moving expeditiously because this dealt with the certification of the 2020 election. 
and uh, and that you know that might be a judgment of fitness for office. Yeah, uh, I just want to read this. This is Mark Levin, a conservative commentator, and. He's obviously very animated on this issue. Um, he says the seriousness of what is being done to Donald Trump by local and federal Democrat prosecutors cannot be overstated. It's alarming. It's shocking. And the republic is teetering. Trump will have to defend himself against bogus criminal charges in Manhattan, bogus civil charges in Albany, bogus criminal charges in the documents case, bogus criminal charges in the January 6th matter, and most likely the shoe will soon drop in Atlanta. All the while, he's running for re-election as president. It's extremely difficult to fight all of these prosecutors and fight for your freedom and run for president at the same time, and these prosecutors know it. They are also involved in something that has only two happened two prior times in our history. That is a concerted effort to knowingly and actively interfere in a presidential election. The two prior times were also against Trump. The Durham report provides overwhelming details of this effort in the 2016 campaign. He goes on. Point being is that uh, there are fervent defenders of, of Donald Trump, and you wonder in the middle of this presidential election how that is going to play out. Uh, you know, there's two tracks here. There's the legal track and what each case has and the defense of it. And then there's a political track and what that means. Fair? Well, lucky. Yeah, it's fair. And lucky for you, you don't have anybody here who can take you really past the legal track. But I can help you somewhat with the political track, at least from my perspective. And I think on the political track, what we've seen, as we discussed at the very start of this podcast, is that it will help him with the Trump base, the Trump loyalist, you know, picking up on what Ben said as well. So, you know, it comes from both sides is they are locked into Trump's argument about grievance. And I think that's what you're seeing there in those comments um, is that, you know, they portray Trump as under siege, not just from legal authorities but in the political sense from the democrats it's the democrats that are going after donald trump they hate donald trump and now they are persecuting donald trump he is a martyr to his followers and this does nothing to harm him with those people in fact from my perspective it makes it stronger it makes his case stronger he can say look at what they're doing to me um you know i must say though that at some point you would have to ask even the strongest Trump supporters to, to consider for a second, wait a minute, did you see those pictures of all those classified documents in the bathroom and in the closet? What do you make of that? Do you think that the prosecutors made this up? Uh, you know, do you think that it was just a bunch of Democrats on a jury that said, oh, Trump is liable for sexual assault? I could go on. Do you think that Brian Kemp that the others in Georgia, Republican officials who have contributed to the case against Trump for election interference are simply Trump haters. This is a this is part of it from the political sense, not the legal sense. I'm leaving that alone. But from the mm -hmm. political sense, you have to ask people if if you are serious about saying that this is an attack on Trump to, to hurt, to harm his political ambitions. Why is it that there are Republicans involved in some of these efforts, specifically in Georgia? Why? Yeah. And it's a fair question. Uh, I think that it, Ben, becomes a, a little bit complicated in that you have on the flip side uh, an investigation that doesn't seem to be going anywhere. 
on Hunter Biden or the corruption uh, in the Biden family other than in the House Oversight Committee. Um, and there are questions about that. Uh, now we have this letter that comes out uh, the night before uh, this big testimony on, on Capitol Hill on this whistleblower. And now there's an FBI agent that corroborates that. Um, and I think that there's a sense that, you know, if you're going to go down this road, you better do it on the other side as well to be fair. Uh, is that no, not, is that where many I, people's heads are? I'm not all that familiar with a situation where FBI agents show up to interview and are told to wait outside in the car until you can lawyer up and tell them that you're not going to talk to them. That's just not something that we typically see. Uh, it's certainly not something that this uh, special agent, in, according to uh, the uh, uh, the transcribed testimony uh, that we're uh, told James Comer will probably, I'm sure, make reference to tomorrow, uh, it, you know, is saying in terms of the experience, how uh, out of the norm it really was. You know, the thing that this brings me back to is kind of this idea we're in the we're approaching uh the 200th anniversary of uh the corrupt bargain the 1824 situation that played out uh and had enormous long-term political effects in the way uh that future parties behaved and that uh the american political system changed in the treatment of course of a a, a what was viewed as a dangerous populist in andrew jackson uh, and i think that one of the things that we should understand is that the 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 consequences of what's playing out right now, I believe, will have really long-ranging effects that go beyond uh, whether Donald Trump becomes president again for four years. Uh, and that's something that I think is is a little short-sighted about people on on both sides of this, you know, who are, you know, either, if you're advocating for the president to be returned to power, uh, you're doing so in a, in a situation where he would have this rare situation of being a, a, a you know, term-limited lame, lame duck uh, four years removed from his prior tenure, we haven't, you know, seen that since. Obviously, you know, uh, even Grover Cleveland was not term limited at that point. Um, you know, but we also, I think, on the other side, there are so many people who have pulled out the stops to try to end the Trump phenomenon in American politics by use of every legal uh, and political tool in their arsenal, even stretching well beyond, as the Durham report uh, makes clear. Uh, the bounds that they were supposed to follow, the uh, the different guardrails they were supposed to operate within, uh, and you know, I truly believe that the norms that they violated ultimately are going to prove m far more damaging uh, to Americans' uh, appreciation of and faith in our government uh, than anything that we saw under President Trump when he was in power. Uh, and I think that this current uh, effort to try to prevent him from winning another general election could well prove the same. Meantime, Chad, the White House stepping back from uh, what was a very interesting comment from a progressive lawmaker, um, Congresswoman Jayapal, uh, saying that Israel was a racist nation as President Biden welcomed the Israeli president and had a telephone call with the Israeli prime minister, uh, Congresswoman Jayapal did apologize later, uh, the White House pointing that out, and uh, the White House dealing with this new effort to forgive $39 billion in student loans after the Supreme Court said, uh, you can't do that on your own. Let's start with this resolution here uh, that the, the Republicans put up on the House floor basically to say we support Israel kind of, uh, you know, making the Democrats, putting them on notice, saying, okay, how many of you are going to vote no? And, and you have people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, 
who is going to protest and not attend uh, the speech by Isaac Herzog, uh, the, the president of Israel, before a joint meeting of Congress. You have what uh, Congresswoman Jayapal said about Israel, which he has taken back and apologized for now. You've had some Democrats, you had a group of 43 Democrats, many of them Jewish, uh, basically say, you know, this is not the way to go. And, and then, you know, for the Republicans, they obviously said, you know, the Democrats need to kind of clean up this language. We've heard this type of language before that's anti-Semitic from, say, Rashida Tlaib from Michigan. You've heard things from uh, Ilan Omar from Minnesota, uh, where they've had to kind of dial their, their language back. By the same token, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy has said that he stands by, not the language, and he made it very clear he does not endorse the language that was used by presidential candidate Robert F. Kennedy Jr., uh, that, uh, you know, the pandemic, uh, you know, was set up in such a way uh, that would give, uh, you know, certain types of immunity to the Chinese and Jewish persons. Uh, He's coming to testify, RFK Jr., at a hearing about censorship, about kind of alternative views on the pandemic on Thursday. And so you have Republicans in this situation where they're being forced to, you know, attack Jayapal, defend Israel, yet by the same token say, okay, we want to hear from RFK Jr., a Democrat, mind you, uh, and and his views on the pandemic, even though we disavow ourselves from the statements that he made that were anti-Semitic about the pandemic. So if you can follow all that, it's a little (laughs) it's, it's a little squirrely. But that's kind of what we've been dealing with this week on Capitol Hill starting with that comment by Jayapal, dialing it back, and then ending Thursday in this testimony by Robert F. Kennedy Jr. And quickly on the student loan relief plan, uh, seems like it may be destined to get shot down again. Yeah, and this is something where, you know, you've had consistently um, the administration talk about, you know, if they would legislate this, you'd had Democrats say, oh, you know, the president might be able to forgive some. It is an important issue to the left wing base of the Democratic Party, obviously. And to young voters. Yes, yes. And that is the key right there. That is why they continue to go to bat, because, you know, people know that older voters are going to come to the polls. But if Democrats can tap into younger voters and specifically younger minority voters to whom this is important, and this speaks to them putting together this coalition uh, that deals with those who are pro-choice and upset about what the high court did on Dobbs last year and what they passed in the defense bill uh, just last week. Democrats believe that is their bread and butter, and it is a very tangible, very relevant coalition. And even if they don't get action on this, this is really about 2024 and getting that cadre of folks to the polls. All right, gentlemen, thank you very much. Now for a bit of history. On July 18, 1921, John Glenn was born in Cambridge, Ohio. Glenn would grow up in New Concord, Ohio, and became fascinated with flying at an early age, eventually serving in the Navy and Marines during World War II and the Korean War, where he became a distinguished fighter pilot. Glenn would later become a test pilot for NASA space programs, and in February 1962, he became the first American to orbit the Earth on Friendship 7 mission. Later in life, Glenn served in the Senate, representing his home state of Ohio, from 1974 to 1999. In 1998, while still a senator, Glenn returned to space at the age of 77 to study the effects of space on aging. Glenn died in 2016. That'll do it for this week. You can hear more of this series at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Make sure to leave a rating and a review. We want to hear from you. For Juan, Ben, and Chad, I'm Brett Baer. We'll see you next time. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts and Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app.